So it's not just about being as efficient and trying to program humans, but more about being effective and recognizing that emotion drives action. How much someone likes you drives how, how hard they're going to work for you. to the Productivityist Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Vardy, and this week on the show, I'm joined by Andrew, or just Drew, Tarvin. He is the world's first humor engineer, teaching people how to get better results while having more fun. He's the author of Humor That Works, and he's worked with 35,000 plus people at 250 plus organizations, including Microsoft, the FBI, and the International Association of Canine Professionals. He is a best-selling author, and he's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and Fast Company, and his TEDx talk has been viewed over 4 million times. On this episode, we get into the importance of humor when it comes to work, and as somebody who's dabbled and even, you know, kind of lived a comedy life in one of my past lives, I really wanted to get behind the idea of what Drew was trying to get at when it comes to humor and how it can work for you. Uh, Let's just get into it. Here's my conversation with Drew Tarvin here on the Productivityist Podcast. I'd like to welcome Drew or Andrew. No, it's Drew. Drew Tarvin to the Productivityist Podcast. Drew, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. So before we got started, um, I wanted to give Drew an insight as to why the book Humor That Works, The Missing Skill for Success and Happiness at Work, uh, was directly related to something that I could speak to because I, if you've listened to the show before or you follow my work, you know that I've got a comedic background. Um, someone says, you know, uh, why did you, why did you quit? I'm like, well, you know, I, it, I needed to find another way to bring humor into my work. And I feel that that's, that, that's something that can be done in the work environment. And so do you, Drew. I, I want to touch on why, why humor is so important right out of the gate. Let's get right into it. why humor is so important to have not only in place in the workplace, but, but fostered there as well so that you can really, you know, kind of enjoy the work that you do. For sure. Well, uh, let, I'm happy to, to jump right into things because I think it's an important question, right? Because people sometimes hear the idea of humor in the workplace and they're like, but, you know, work is supposed to feel like work and otherwise it'd be called play. Uh, that's what I've been told sometimes or like, you know, my work is too serious for humor. And uh, the kind of the reason for using humor in the workplace comes down to a very dumb question. And the dumb question is, would you rather do something that is fun or not fun? Right? And so it's a dumb question. It's a basic question. And so the obvious answer is fun. You are more likely to do something fun. And so that means that if you were to make your work a little bit more fun, do you think you'd be a little bit more engaged in it? Or if you were to make your meetings a little bit more fun, do you think uh, people would be a little bit more willing to come to them? If you were to make your emails a little bit more fun, do you think people would be more likely to read them? And so it's basically this, this simple premise that uh, we work in a workplace of humans, and humor is particularly effective with humans. Therefore, we should use humor intentionally as a tool to be effective with humans. That's the, that's the basis of it. When did you have the light bulb moment when you were studying improv? Because there's, you know, we, we both have that in common. You studied improv in college, right? And mm -hmm. and I studied it 
when I didn't go to college <laughs> instead, I just moved out West. And it was one of those moments where when I was working for Costco, someone invited me to an improv rehearsal. They thought that I'd be pretty good at it based on how quick on my feet I was. And boom, I fell in love with it. And my Costco career was slowly going to decline after that as my comedy <laughs> career rose um, and then tapered off. We'll get to that in a little bit. But what mm. was that moment when you were, you know, I mean, you, you had an improv journey. When did you realize that you weren't going to be somebody that was necessarily going to be on whose line is it anyway, or the groundlings or, you know, mm -hmm. doing anything uh, with upright UCB or anything like that. And said, you know, this, this needs to be a, either. I know I don't want to go down this path because it's not something that I'm you know, necessarily my lifestyle is best suited for, or I know this could be applied elsewhere and that's where I need to go. Yeah. And it was more of kind of the, the latter. So kind of the, the journey starts with, you know, me as an engineer, like I was born an engineer, I think, because I was born three weeks early, you know, like and like most engineers obsessed with efficiency. So I was like, you know, I don't need a full nine months. I'm ready to go in less. <laughs> uh, right. So born an engineer, always thought like an engineer. Um, you know, when our family got our first computer, I was the one kind of taking it apart and seeing how things worked and then putting it back together again. And, you know, I joined uh, in high school. I was on the in the Internet Club and we made the first website for our um, our high school, uh, based on the time that it was, cause this was in the, you know, early two thousands and all that. So obsessed with computers, obsessed with engineering as a mindset and solving problems and efficiency and went to Ohio state, getting a degree in computer science and engineering. And then it was there that I started doing improv and not because, you know, someone was like, you would be good at improv or that I saw an improv show and was like, uh, I want to do that, but more because my best friend in college wanted to start an improv group. He needed people and basically forced me to join. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I was like, all right, yeah, I'm going to do it. It's college. You're like, okay, yeah, that, I'm going to give this a go. And I, I think it's what you, I think it's I, what you do in college. I think improv, like improv groups in college oh. are almost, they, they, they're, you know, they, they almost, you, I think it's a box you have to check off, right? Yeah. At this point, I feel like you have to, yep, have done uh, improv and went to football games. That's the like, you know, <laughs> uh, the the metrics of whether you, you went to college or not. Uh, and so, yeah, did improv and then started to realize, one, that it was a lot of fun. After a year of doing improv at school, then we started doing, some of us started doing stand-up in the improv group because there was a stand-up comedy competition at Ohio State. And then it was stand up was the first moment that I was like, oh, wait, me as a, an individual can be funny because, you know, in improv, it's a team of people. And so I was like, you know, maybe it's just that people around me are funny, um, but maybe I'm not. And so then the first time I did stand up and I got my first laugh and it wasn't a great stand up set, but I got my first laugh from a group of strangers of a joke that I thought of. And I was like, okay, I can do this. There's actually like an engineering approach that I can take to this idea of comedy. But that was still, hey, this is kind of fun. Uh, so I graduated from Ohio State and got a degree in, or like, as I said, degree in computer science, um, but started working at Procter & Gamble afterwards. So I grew up in Cincinnati, the global headquarters of PNG, and that was kind of what I wanted to do as a kid. I was like, you know, work for a big company in IT. PNG is the place to go. You'll, you, you know, you'll live comfortably. You'll. Um, do interesting projects. You're retire a millionaire with stock options. It's a very, you know, Midwestern, middle class, comfortable kind of lifestyle. And that's what I thought I was going to do. Um, but it was then this humor thing kept coming back 
at PNG. I was still doing it on the side. I was still taking classes or uh, performing with a couple of groups in Ohio. And then I moved with uh, uh, PNG to New York and started taking classes there and continuing to do stand up. And so it was never necessarily like, yes, this is a career that I want to do, but more of, oh, wow, look at how this is helping me in the thing that I'm already doing. One of the things that humor can do in the workplace is, and you talk about this in the book, and can, it can divide, you know, there's some dangers to it, there's some opportunity, I'm not going to kind of go into those, but I want to talk about the idea of defining the humor that works, because that's an element you discuss in the book. And I mean, for example, I just watched uh, uh, the Bill Burr comedy special on Netflix, The Paper Tiger, mm-hmm. and there's certain things that I absolutely loved about that show, especially the tail end when he gets into like how, you know, more of a personal stuff. But at the very beginning, I'm like, oh, that's a little touch and go. Like there's some there's some uh, shock stuff there to a degree. There's some mm-hmm. there's some uncomfortableness that can show up. So when it comes to putting humor in, in the workplace that to make it work. Uh, what do you have to take into account? And then how do you kind of shape that so it fits the culture? Yeah, well, I think you kind of hit on a, a really important part is that, uh, you know, the goal of using humor in the workplace is not to be a Bill Burr Netflix comedy special, right? Like if you are, if you're a comedian on stage, then, uh, you know, there's kind of a certain expectation of what you might talk about and the consequences of it are lower, Right. Like if you're a comedian, you're talking, you know, and he's talking about pretty kind of out there subjects or kind of some controversial things or things like that for a laugh. If you don't like that content, then you turn the special off. If you do that type of material in the workplace, then that means, you you know, you might get fired. It might bring a lawsuit. It might lose business. Right. The, the consequences are certainly much higher. But the bar is also different. So, again, it's not about being, quote unquote, the funniest person in the office. Humor is more about leveraging it intentionally as a tool to get specific results. And so part of it is understanding that humor is more broad than comedy, right? When we hear humor, we think of stand-up comedy, but it's it's defined as a comic, absurd, or incongruous quality causing amusement. So that means that it's also not just something that makes people laugh, but maybe something that makes people smile. It's not necessarily just jokes, but also just doing things a little bit differently, having a little bit more fun. And so that's what we say is humor that works is defined as a way – of working that is different, effective, and fun. So it's not about being funny, it's about having a little bit more fun. And that broader definition, and that focus less on being seen as funny and more of being positive inclusive, is kind of what helps to make sure that you incorporate that effective humor and not necessarily, maybe it's not hilarious, but it is, um, you know, it does get results. So one of the things that I did when I was doing improv with a, a comedy troupe here in Victoria was we did team building stuff with different mm-hmm. organizations. And it was interesting when we went in and did those things because it was, we were the outside eye. So there was no personal connection. We've actually done, we actually did a few improv shows where it was very much a, uh, uh, you know, subversive kind of, we were playing characters. And then at the end we did a show, a lot of these were for parties, but when I'm talking about the team building stuff, um, one of those things that, that you bring to the table there is as, as an outside person, as you can see, you know, who's into it and who isn't. How do you kind of get a sense of when you're when you're working with your colleagues and you're like, you know, I want to bring more humor to the workplace, but you know what? Um, Beatrice is totally game to the to experiment with this, but Bill over there, yeah, he's a bit of a stick in the mud. I don't know how to approach mm-hmm. that. So how do you gauge that? Yeah, well, uh, one, you hang out more with Beatrice than Bill. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you just hang out with them more. Um, but no, I mean, it is. So one of the things, so, so back to kind of this effective piece of humor, cause you, you're spot on is that the person or the audience matters, right? It's going to change the humor that you use. And so the way that we frame using effective humor is, is through what's called a humor map and your humor map is your medium, your audience and your purpose. So your medium is, you know, is it in an email? Is it in a phone call? Is it in a, um, one-on-one meeting? Is it in a group meeting? Kind of like, how is that message or that humor going to be? disseminate it. Uh, the audience, the A is the audience and that's who is going to receive that. So is it Beatrice? Is it Bill? Is it both of them together? Is it a client that you know nothing about? Is it someone that you've been working with for the past 10 years? So like not only what that person knows and what they need, but you also want to understand what is your relationship to that person. And then the final piece is the purpose. And this is why are you using humor? Where again, as an engineer, I don't care that, you know, humor is fun. Like, I mean, that's an added bonus. I care because it works. And so it's less about doing it just so that work is more fun, but more about doing it of like, oh, I want to use humor in the subject line of this email so that people will actually click on it and read it. Or I want to use humor as a part of this presentation so that people actually pay attention when I'm talking to them. So it's like being very deliberate about why you're using that humor. And so I think with that kind of, yes, understanding your audience and seeing who resonates with the humor a little bit more versus who doesn't. And I think a starting point for a lot of people is remembering that you yourself are an audience member. You are, you know, part of the reason why you're using humans for your own work. And so kind of to go back to that question of, you know, okay, how did you start to maybe know this was something that you wanted to do? Was I remember being in a meeting at PNG that was incredibly boring. It was so like it was one of those like you want to cry that it's so boring. Uh, and the problem was that I was the one leading the meeting. And so it's like, all right, if I'm bored while talking, they have to be bored while listening. And so part of my reason for incorporating humor early on was just so I would entertain myself more. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it, and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash 
time crafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. All right, we're going to take a break from the conversation, but when we come back, Drew's going to tell me other ways that people can use humor to kind of make work more enjoyable, but also what leaders can learn from stand-up comedians and what to do with that person on the job that says, you know what, let's not focus on the humor component because it's just a waste of time. But before we do that, I want to share with you something that's not so funny, and that is a messy, unorganized email inbox. Have you ever missed an important email because of your overloaded inbox? You know, wading through tons of unread emails, forests of newsletters and follow-ups to just find the one email can be a real frustrating experience. Seeing the number of emails that are unread that are growing can just be a stressful, stressful experience. Taking the time to kind of go through all of it is a real, real waste of time. So the folks at Clean Email came up with a cleaning solution and it's a real game changer. First, Clean Email organizes all of your emails into smart views like social, notifications, newsletters, unread emails, emails from project management tools, emails from dead ends, top senders, and on and on. This way, with Clean Email, you can quickly take care of those thousands of emails in your mailbox, marking them as read, archiving them, labeling and moving them around by hundreds or thousands at once. That's a huge, huge deal. And then you can set up auto clean filters as well. What they do is they automatically archive or move emails around as they arrive. Like for example, one feature I really like is the ability to auto archive emails as they become older than a couple of months. And then you can use smart unsubscriber to keep your mailbox clean from newsletters and noisy marketers. Clean email was designed with your privacy and security of your data in mind. And since they are in the business of providing a great service in exchange for a fair fee, they guarantee not to sell or analyze your data. And we've seen others along the way that can't make that claim. They are verified by Yahoo and Google and support all email providers out there. So I want you to give clean email a try. Visit clean.email slash timecrafting and get 50% off the five accounts annual package. Now I have several email accounts, so that five is is perfect for me. And I know it's going to work well for you too. If you want to save time, you want to save energy, and you want to make sure that you're getting the right emails in front of you when you need them, you got to give clean email a try. Again, go to clean.email slash timecrafting and then get that 50% off the five accounts annual package. Do that today. Humor can definitely unlock your productivity in the workplace, but you can also unlock your productivity with Text Expander. Text Expander allows you to create snippets for text that you're gonna use again and again and again. You don't need to reinvent common email and message replies every time you need them. You can store them in Text Expander instead. Text Expander for Teams is another great option as well. What it does is it makes it easy to manage and share snippets to your entire organization. And I've done that and it's great, it's a game changer because then what can happen is if you have an email reply, let's say, and you wanna use your kind of voice, you wanna use your cadence, your timbre, your tone, you can share that with your team members and make sure that we're all kind of on the same page. You can use your snippets anywhere as well, anywhere you type, Slack, Trello, 
Google Docs, web browsers, any place that you frequently type the same things. And Text Expander is available for Mac OS, but also Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. I love Text Expander. It's been a game changer for me for years. I don't know what I'd do without it. And I know that you can definitely benefit from using Text Expander as well. What I want you to do right now is visit textexpander.com slash podcast and you get 20% off of your first year. Just go to the drop down and say that you heard about this deal from the Productivityist Podcast. There's a list of podcasts. Click on mine and that way you can get that 20% off of your first year. Again, go to textexpander.com slash podcast. Mention the Productivityist Podcast as the place that you found out about this deal and about Text Expander and get 20% off of your first year. You will not regret giving Text Expander a try. In fact, you're going to thank me. You're going to thank yourself, and so will your team. Text Expander is the way to go. You can unlock your productivity with Text Expander. Give it a try today. Using a calendar should be no laughing matter, and finding a calendar that can incorporate all of the smart things that you need in a collaborative setting is is really something that you should strive for. And Woven Calendar gives you that in spades. Woven Calendar is designed for busy professionals who want to make the most of their time. They're tired of wasting time sending emails back and forth to find times to meet. I know I hate that. They're tired of downloading, managing, and paying for multiple scheduling tools. With, with Woven, you do not need to do that. They want to make scheduling with clients and teams easy and hassle-free. Ask my coaching clients. It's so much easier with Woven than with anything else we've used. And they want a calendar that is smart, collaborative, and designed to work the way they work. Woven Calendar features powerful scheduling tools built into a smart, collaborative calendar. Now, what I love about Woven Calendar especially is the fact that I can create templates. I have templates for several different things, so when I want to schedule something with someone, I can just send them the template link, whether I do that in messaging, because there's that extension in the messaging app in iOS, which is fantastic. I can do that. I absolutely am in love with Woven. I've been using it for months, and it's the best calendar tool that I have tried, bar none. I want you to try it as well. Go to woven.com slash timecrafting and give Woven a try today. Add Woven to your productivity stack and schedule faster than ever before. Visit woven.com slash timecrafting and give Woven a try today. And now let's get back to my conversation with Drew Tarman here on the Productivityist Podcast. So let's let's dig in a bit more into other ways that you can use humor. Um, mm-hmm. Office conflict. Bill's a stick in the mud. You know, you, you've read that audience. Beatrice is great. Some kind of conflict arises. How can humor be used to diffuse conflict? Because I think it's it's it can be very disarming. But again, it's it's about tact, I think, too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for diffusing conflict, it's probably one of the more challenging ways to to use humor because it's so um, so much based on circumstance. But a couple of things that want that humor can really do, and and maybe the most valuable is that it can serve as a pattern interrupt. A lot of times the humor, the conflict is coming because you're kind of butting heads and you are um, continuing. You're then like doubling down and now it's becoming like I just need to prove that I'm right as opposed to solving the problem. It's more about me winning here. And so if you can use humor as a way to kind of interrupt that pattern, uh, it can make people laugh and diffuse some of that tension. So, for example, I remember when I was at P&G and when I was at a meeting, uh, and we were behind schedule on a couple of things. We were starting to butt heads and, you know, tempers were starting to, to flare a little bit. And my manager was like, okay, all right, everyone listen, take a deep breath. We need to remember that at the end of the day, we sell soap. 
And it was just this kind of like, you know, it wasn't discounting what we're doing or saying that what we're doing wasn't important. It was just kind of like that thing to be like, oh, yeah, we should take a step back. We're not going to war here. This is not this particular project is not life or death. We can take a break. We can laugh a little bit. Maybe we need to take a a longer break, a five minute break and all kind of like walk around, cool off a little bit and then come back to a little bit more um, to be a little bit more focused. And so humor can provide that pattern interrupt, some type of observation or kind of off the cuff conversational type of humor in that moment can be enough to be like, okay, let's reset. Let's reset the room and the energy of this in that moment. Before we jumped on the call, I told you about my stand-up story and what I learned about stand-up from a stand-up comedian, a lesson I didn't necessarily need or want to learn during that drive home uh, <laughs> about how to tell a joke, uh, and then the payoff, which was far less, not just in terms of the advice, but the amount of money he gave me. It's a whole mm-hmm. other story for another another time, but what can leaders learn from stand-up comedians? Because I know that there's a difference, and we talked about this already, of, of you know, it's comedy isn't about you know, stand up stuff, you know, the Bill Burr thing that we were talking about, but what can leaders learn from stand up comedians that they can then bring to the workplace? Yeah. And, and, and to use humor in the workplace, it doesn't mean that you have to become a professional comedian, but we can for sure learn from them. Uh, and so leaders in particular, really effective communicators in general can learn a lot from them. Cause if you think about it, stand up comedians tend to be very effective communicators. They're very good at getting people to pay attention. They're very good at articulating an idea that you understand it. And they're very good at keeping your attention so that you want to learn and listen and, and hear what they have to say. So I think one of the things that, uh, leaders can learn is the value of starting strong, right? You know, from your stand up days that you have maybe, you know, in a stand up club setting, you have 30, maybe probably 15 seconds to like kind of show to the audience that you're worth listening to, that you are funny. And so that idea of starting strong. So in comedy, they start with a strong joke. As a leader, if you're stepping out and you're going to present, then you want to start with a strong story. If you're in a meeting one-on-one, you want to start with kind of that strong statement, understanding that how you begin something that people are making first impressions right away. So you want to start off strong because that's going to make things a little bit easier. Same thing with kind of the the influence perspective. So the idea of starting with a funny joke to get people laughing as a comedian is similar to the idea of uh, within the corporate world, what we call head nodding. You want to start strong and you also want to start with what the audience agrees with. If you're selling something, right, and trying to influence people to buy, you don't immediately start with a pitch. You start with the context. You start with what the other person's goal is and get them nodding to say, oh, you're right. That is my challenge. Oh, you're right. This is a, a difficult thing that probably should be solved. And then as they're nodding their head along saying, yes, I agree with you, then you start to introduce some of these other ideas of like, oh, OK, yeah, this product could or this service could actually solve that you know thing that I need. And they're going to continue to nod along the way. So starting strong is one important thing that certainly people can can pick up on from from comedians. I want to talk about authenticity for a second, because I think that's an element, too, that humor can bring to the equation. You know, the idea of because it, it allows you to bring, you know, I would say your whole self or an element of yourself you wouldn't normally see in the workplace. Do you do you it, there's a connection there, I think, that, that can happen. Uh, would you agree? Absolutely. I think there's a, a, a really strong connection because, I mean, Seinfeld says that the uh, more you can be kind of your authentic self on stage, the funnier you will be. So as comedians, part of what you do is try to figure out and learn what is your brand and what is your persona. But I think authenticity in general in the workplace, humor is a, is a great thing that can help us bring it into the workplace. And so my guess is, 
you know, of your listeners, my guess is that many of your listeners, people listening right now, many of you are likable people at home. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then for some of you, when you go into the workplace, you put on a work face. You become a shell of a human. Whereas it's like at home, you make jokes with your friends, you laugh with your significant other and your family, you you know, sing in the shower, you dance in the kitchen, you are a human being with human emotions and you're uh, a joy to be around and, and all of that. And then you go into the workplace and something changes for some people. And part of what we're finding, just the research, and that's that's something that I should mention. So all the benefits that I talked about before, this research that I'm talking now, I'm not making it up. Like it's actually research back by, you know, case studies, real world examples, actual research published in peer reviewed journals and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm an engineer. I want this, you know, I want to know that it's it's actually working. And so some of the research suggests that one of the most important attributes that you need for an effective team in the workplace is psychological safety. And psychological safety is defined as two things. One, that you feel like you can be their, your authentic self at work, that you don't have to put on that work face. And that two, that if you make a mistake, that you won't be made fun of or reprimanded. And so from that, right, your, your improv background, I imagine you probably immediately see, oh, improv is a great way to train that. Yes, and is a fantastic mindset to create psychological safety. Being more authentically you and kind of joking with people and getting to know each other at a human level are all ways that you can start to develop more psychological safety in the workplace, which the research shows leads to more employee engagement, better productivity on teams, lower you know turnover, boom, 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 all these additional you know benefits from a bottom line perspective. What would you say to someone when they're listening to this right now? And I mean, I went through your book. And one of the things that it, it, it's, it's peppered with humor throughout, go figure. Um, you know, I think that that's important, but what do you, what do you say to the person who says, ah, humor, it's just a waste of time. Like we get, like, it's not going to help us with our efficiency. It's just going to slow us down. What do you say to that person? Uh, one, I would say, you know, and this is what I would say to, by, my by the way, it's probably Bill that's saying that just to be clear. Yeah, it's, it's, pro it's for sure, Bill. It's not Beatrice. Beatrice has already been, you know, she's been having a good time. Her employee productivity is probably up. Uh, her employee job satisfaction is probably up as well. Bill, we can't be sure of. Um, but, uh, yeah, so one, I would say it's, it's similar advice that I gave to my original self is that understand that there is a difference between being efficient and being effective. Right. And as an engineer, I want to be efficient. I want to send emails that are like, do this thing. Right. As a project manager at PNG, I knew exactly what every person needed to do and when they needed to do it by. So I wanted to send emails that were like, do this thing. Uh, but instead, I had to send emails that were like, hey, so and so, uh, hope you had a nice weekend. Uh, anyway, I was hoping you could do this thing by this date for this reason. I'll, you know, see you at the happy hour later. Sincerely yours, truly, you know, XOXO, whatever, right? That is a lot less efficient of an email. But because we are working with humans, right, that it's a more effective email long term, right? It's about building the relationship. So it's not just about being as efficient and trying to program humans, but more about being effective and recognizing that emotion drives action. How much someone likes you drives how how hard they're gonna work for you. Um, we know that 31% of employees leave their workplace because of their manager. They like their role, they like the company, they just don't like their manager, so they leave. So we know that, that in, the, those relationships impact, say, turnover. We know that people who have a manager with a higher sense of humor, they're more likely to stay 
uh, in their role for the next year, and they're more likely to be engaged in their work, right? So there's the research shows these types of things are about effectiveness. It's about improving the bottom line. It's not about this is fun because you know work should feel like fun and let's all hold hands and kumbaya and all that. It's like no, this is about getting better results. One of the things I learned doing comedy was the idea of commitment. Like you have mm-hmm. to commit. Because uh, if you don't, and improv is a great example of that, the idea of, you know, yes and, right? Like, you know, there's some, there's a lot of the, you know, and you, you talked about this initially, the idea of you're only going to go, the scene is only going to go as far as everyone cooperating and collaborating within it. Uh, and, and there's definitely correlation to the workplace. So let's talk about commitment for a second. The idea of, of committing to humor in the workplace, what can that lead to both in the short term, because a lot of companies look for the immediate impact to ROI on the bottom line, but also over the long term. And I know you've touched on this a bit, but let, let's, let's dig into this particular area of commitment specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From a, from an individual perspective, what you see pretty immediately is, um, I mean, it depends on your purpose, right? It goes back to the map piece, but you should be seeing kind of the, the results that you want from that purpose. And it's not to say every instance of humor that you use is always going to work beautifully, but in general, what you'll see is, so if you're like, Hey, I want to start to use images in my presentations instead of a wall full of text, the very first presentation that you'll do is you'll see increased engagement in it. You'll see people kind of laughing at some of these photos maybe that you include. You'll see that they're kind of paying a, a bit more attention to, uh, to what you're talking about. So you might see immediate improvement in terms of, say, effective communication. The other area that we haven't necessarily talked a ton about is stress management. So one of the things that I'm a big believer in is that, you know, no one can control how you think. So even if you work, say you work for Bill and this scenario where we're saying he's anti-humor, even if you work for Bill and he says no humor whatsoever, he can't control how you think. So he can't prevent you from listening to this podcast or another podcast um, on your way home from work so that you laugh a little bit and show up more present for your family, right? So that could be immediate impact is stress relief, is that you're relieving the the tension in your muscles, you are increasing blood flow through your body, you're intrusing or boosting your immune system when you laugh, you're burning calories when you laugh as well. So there's an immediate impact there. Um, so there's 30 plus benefits to using humor as an individual, as an organization, as that happens over time and you start to build this more positive workplace culture, you see an increase in employee engagement. You see a decrease in employee turnover. You see an increase in employee productivity and ultimately you see, uh, an increase in profit. That's what they found in various studies when they've ranked, um, humor before. And so those are kind of the short and the the long-term things. It's it's overall there's there's a lot of positives. Now, this is all based on the assumption that it is effective humor. As you mentioned kind of at the beginning, the humor that you might see from Bill Burr on a stand-up special, it might be divisive. It might be disparaging to other people. It might be a distraction. And so it is that key that it's effective humor, but when you're using that effective humor, it's all of those benefits I talked about. Before we wrap up, I want to talk about the construction of the book because you've divided it up into kind of two primary sections. There's a third section called Debrief, which I'll get to in a second. But why was it important for you to divide the book up? Oh, sorry about that. that. Hearing of uh, wonderful people trying to buzz in. Um, so the uh, I wanted to divide the book into two sections, which the first section is kind of the why so why is humor so desperately needed in today's world? So to me, I believe it's a must-have, not a nice-to-have. And that's partially because how work has changed. Right now, how you feel 
affects your ability to get things done. And so we have to understand that. So we need to, we need emotional intelligence and we need tools to be able to manage emotion in the workplace. Humor is one of those great tools to be able to do that. So that's the what and why it's so important now. And then, or the why, and then also the what of it. Of like, so what do we mean by humor? And that's understanding kind of what we mean by the skill of humor. Also this idea of the humor map um, and that it is more broad than comedy. And so that's kind of the first section is saying this is a what and why. And then the second section is more of the how and less about here's how to be funny and here's how to write a joke and more about here are the strategies that you can use. Because it's my belief as an engineer that there's really only five skills of work. There's only five things you do in the workplace. No matter who you are, what you do, it comes down to some you know percentage of executing tasks, thinking strategically and creating a plan, communicating, whether it's, at, it's email or in a meeting, connecting with people, so emotional intelligence, empathy, and then leading, right? Influencing, influencing people to some type of common goal. So no matter who you are, what you do, it's some of those, the, some percentage of those five. And so the second half of the book is, okay, how do we apply humor across each one of those skills for better results? How can we execute a little bit faster? How can we think a little bit smarter? Uh, and so then it's strategies for each one of those. So I wanted people to be able to say, oh, okay, I can do that. And I can do that starting this afternoon if I want to. Next question. And this, this will be, we'll wrap up on this because I think it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it kind of ties everything up neatly the way we've discussed things so far is you have conversations with the editor throughout this book. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the editor is needing to be convinced just as much as perhaps somebody who's picking this up for the first time. So can you talk a little bit about that and how, how important it was to include those and, and what people can learn from those conversations uh, just as much as they can. I think not just as much, but at, you know, as within the confines of the book as well. Yeah. Well, they're important for me to include because it's, you know, uh, my editor had these kind of questions and they're the questions and objectives that uh, objections that I think everyone's going to have. And so the first one kind of setting that stage is, you know, do you, why, why do you have to start a book on why humor is important? Right. Because don't we kind of know of it as kind of a nice to have and things like that. And it's like, oh, but I think that no, it's a must have, you know, and my editor was like, is it really a must have? Is it as important as leadership and communication? And, and I was like, yes, absolutely. And she's like, I don't know if I agree with that. And it's like, that's why I need to start with why you use humor. Cause I do think it's one of those skills to me, it's kind of like storytelling storytelling has had like a bit of a, you know, a lot of people are starting to recognize, oh yeah, even if we're a brand, we need to learn storytelling. I think humor is the same way. And we're going to see that, you know, my hope and my thought is that in the next, you know, 10 years or so, I won't have to convince it of anyone because people will just kind of know. And if you look at the millennial generation, you're starting to see that the millennial generation is the first generation that includes the the value of fun is something that they're seeking at their organization, that they want fun to be listed as one of the corporate values. Um, so that's that we're seeing that shift already. So then going into the second section, it's like, OK, how do you actually use it? And so, you know, her having questions around that and it's coming about, OK, let's be let's use these strategies, not about, okay, here, I'm going to tell you how to tell a joke because one, that's hard to get from a book. Um, and two, that's not what we're talking about. So it's about how do we be effectiver, right? How do we do those things? And then finally, the last piece is like, okay, I'm starting to be on board with this. You know, what do I actually do now as a result of me listening to this, what comes next? Uh, and, and what comes next is a couple of things. One is, the biggest kind of next step that I can give you is to start, 
which I know is a vague, terrible next step action item because it, it is vague. It, it doesn't follow the smart framework or any of that. But it does start with the choice. And that's the key is that it's a choice you make every single day. And so the the bonus strategy in the book, the last thing is like, listen, if you don't want to read the book, if you don't want to like check out any resources online, if you want to do a workshop, any of that kind of stuff, simply start to think about one smile per hour. Think about what is it that you can do each hour of the day that brings a smile to either your face or the face of someone else. And what that will do is it'll start to develop a humor habit. You'll start to see your own work a little bit differently. You'll be like, okay, I'm going into a meeting for an hour. What's one thing that I can do to make it a little bit more enjoyable? Or, oh, I have a you know a 47-minute commute coming up. What's one thing that I can do so that uh, rather than being stressed out about the commute that I actually relax a little bit and relieve some stress? And so that habit starts to change the way that you think, becomes an easy action item that you can take, and you start to develop this, this choice that you're making every single day, and you're doing it in a way that's more productive. You're less stressed, and you're having more fun. Drew, this has been a fun conversation. It's, it was great to connect with somebody who has a comedy background. I try to infuse humor into time management, which is whenever I do workshops and stuff, people have said, you know, it's a really, it's a pretty dry topic, time management and productivity. So to be able to kind of bring that, you know, humor background that I have to that has always been important to me. It's been kind of, I think one of the hallmarks of what I do. So it's always great to connect with somebody who sees the value of bringing humor to the workplace. The book's called humor that works, the missing skill for success and happiness at work. Where can people pick up the book and where can they keep up with you and your work? Sure. If uh, they're interested in the book or learning more about some of the free resources and things that we have, if they go to humorthatworks.com, we have a bunch of blog posts. We have a free newsletter. Uh, we have information about the book, the online course, the workshops that we do, all that kind of stuff. You can go to humorthatworks.com. Our whole goal is to, to create a resource so that if people are interested in this, they have this, they have some options for how they build this skill of humor. If they want to connect directly with me, uh, either because they you know have a question or they love puns, because I love tweeting out puns, uh, you can uh, connect with me on social media, and all of my social media is at Drew Tarvin, so D-R-E-W-T-A-R-V-I-N, and that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, discovered not too long ago that I still have a MySpace page, so if MySpace is your jam, uh, myspace.com slash Drew Tarvin, but yeah, any social media, Drew Tarvin, I'm, I'm happy to answer questions. Drew, thanks for joining me today on the Productivities Podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Big thanks to Drew for joining me on the program. You can pick up his book, Humor That Works, The Missing Skill for Success and Happiness at Work, wherever fine books are sold. And of course, if you want to check out everything that we talked about in the podcast, go to productivityist.com slash podcast 274, and you'll be able to do just that. Uh, I want to thank you for listening to this program. Now, if you enjoyed it, I want you to leave a rating and or review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to podcasts, Spotify, wherever, uh, because it, it makes the show better. How does it do that? Well, I review all the comments and all of the ratings and I see what, what we're doing well and what I need to work on. And by leaving a rating and review in those places that you listen to podcasts, it just really is a huge help. So if you have a, a moment, do that right now. It'd be a great gift to give to me if you've enjoyed this podcast or, or even just the gift of being able to give me feedback so I can make the show better. And if you don't want to miss a single episode, hit the subscribe button. Make sure you do not miss a single episode. There's also a generous back catalog for you to listen to as well. And now it's time for my productivity is podcast pick of the week. And I'm going to go a bit off grid here because I wanted to share with you a podcast that I enjoy as a way to unwind. You know, I listen to business podcasts all day long and I want sometimes just to be able to listen to something that'll kind of take me away from that. And how did this get made? 
is a podcast that definitely does that for me. Now, I was late to the party with this one. It's been around for quite some time. They tour. It's some great comedians, and I figure this episode is as good as any to share a humor-based podcast pick on. And it's you know it's Paul Shear, June Diane Raphael, and Jason Manzukis all well-known. You've seen them on TV. You may not recognize their their names, but you certainly would recognize their faces. And the way this program works is that they watch movies that are, let's say, not necessarily the best movies out there. And they dissect how they got made, uh, often with hilarious results. Now, there are plenty of episodes that are in the back catalog, but I prefer listening to the live episodes. Uh, they've done all of the Fast and Furious movies, I believe, and Hobbs and Shaw is one of the ones that I loved a lot. They've done uh, tons of, uh, you know, the the action movies. Con Air is another one that they've done. There are so many movies that they they kind of dissect. The live shows are the ones. So if you're not going to listen to anything else, just download the live ones because they're fantastic. I just love hearing that live feel. And they do uh, every two weeks. They do one of these dissections, but then in the the weeks in between that, what they do is they kind of answer, uh, Paul, Paul Shear hosts that part, and basically they answer kind of, you know, listener mail, and then they tell you what the next movie is going to be and all that stuff. And as we're recording this, uh, the and as you're listening to this, they've announced that they're coming to my neck of the woods, so I'm really hoping to get to see them live because it's one of those things that's on my bucket list. They're coming to Vancouver, so my, my hope is to see them live sometime in February when they come up here. So... I really think it's worth your time. It is NSFW, so keep that in mind. But how did this get made? It's it's funny. You know, I love it, and it's my productivity as podcast pick of the week. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of the Productivities Podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. See you later.